Hey y'all, welcome back to Chats from the Blog Cabin, this show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa and I'm your host. Today I'm chatting with Michelle Dickinson. She's an author, TED speaker, and advocate, and we chat about ways to decrease the mental health stigma and shame that prevents people from asking for help. And we talk about why you should invest in brain health for first responders and within the workplace. And we we share it because she shares about her own personal story of perseverance and triumph. And she'll also we also talk about some really important tips and strategies to help all of us stay mentally sane during COVID-19 and the restrictions that are up on us. So this is an interesting chat and it's a perfect chat considering that right now we're going back into a huge COVID um, swing with the new strand has come. So there's some ways that things that you can do to help yourself mentally. Um, so you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today I am joined by Michelle. She is a mental health advocate. So Michelle, why don't you tell us a little about yourself before we start talking about mental health? Perfect. Thank you for having me, Melissa. I'm uh, honored to be here with you. Um, I yeah, I'm a mental health advocate. Somehow, some some way that became a reality for me a few years ago. I spent most of my career in the pharmaceutical industry, um, but then found myself giving a TED talk about growing up with my bipolar mom. And then um, I dealt with depression myself and it sort of fueled me to go out and be the change to remove stigma and really help there be more compassion for people with invisible disability. I love that. Let's talk about, first of all, being a child and dealing with a mom who is bipolar. Let's talk about that experience. Yeah, my mom, uh, I guess she was diagnosed when I was a very little girl. She um, she had the typical signs and symptoms of, um, you know, bipolar in that uh, she had mania. She had deep depressing lows. Uh, I used to uh, I used to refer to my, my mom as um, a roller coaster, sort of holding on for the ride because you never knew when she was going to be up or down. Um, so it was really hard. I mean, I put a lot of my own needs on the back burner. Um, I, every everything in our home was revolved around making sure she was okay and she had what she needed. Um, and there were times when my dad just needed me to stay with her because she was too fragile to be left alone, but not sick enough to be hospitalized. So it, it sort of had me play a role reversal in caring for my mom and um, made me grow up real quick. So are you the only child in? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you- I had two cousins live with us for a while, but I was their only, their only daughter. 
Oh, wow. So the burden of seeing your mom go through her manic stages is it's it's yeah. I, mean, I can just imagine as a small child. But you know, that. you don't know any different. People say that to me all the time. Right. But like, you don't know. You know what you know. Right. No mm -hmm. any difference. You just you do the best you can with what you know, you know. Um, and that was my reality. So uh, it taught me empathy. It taught me a lot of positive qualities. You know, even though it was hard, it taught me a lot. I mean, I could feel her pain. Uh, it taught me to make sunshine, you know, when I needed to for myself. It taught me my own coping mechanisms. So it shaped me, you know. So let's talk about making sunshine for yourself. What did you do? How did you make sunshine for yourself? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I think I look to a lot of my friends, mothers, and my friends' relationships, you know, to look for like an escape from my home life whenever I could. Um, I also had my youth group. My Catholic youth group was very instrumental in my life. It was a safe haven for me to just be who I was without being judged or a fear of being um, ridiculed because my mom was sick. Um, and then like, I just learned to pacify myself. I learned to find ways to bring myself joy. Um, you know, I didn't look to external things to bring me joy. I would find ways to entertain myself and keep myself busy. Wow. And you write about a lot of the, your experiences in your book, Breaking Into My Life. So let's yeah. talk about your book. Sure. Sure. Thanks for asking. Yeah. You know, I, I had given a TED talk about growing up with my mom. I was nominated to do that. And, and that gave me the confidence, a little girl who didn't really have a voice that gave this little girl a voice and had me realize the power of storytelling and that people um, could see a little bit of themselves. And when you tell your story, so that was what was the impetus for me writing my book because I thought, gosh, if I could do that in a 10 minute TED talk, what could I do if I wrote my book? I could really help people across the world if, you know, in reality. So if over a four year period, it was incredibly cathartic, but I really um, worked hard to recreate those experiences of what it's like to care for someone with a mental illness because I thought if I could humanize it for people, then maybe they won't fear it or judge it. They'll just find compassion for those who suffer. And that was my goal. So let's talk about the stigma around mental illness. Why is it not normalized? Because everybody basically has to deal or some way, shape or form deal with some sort of a mental illness. So why is it like considered like the hush hush topic that nobody wants to talk about? Isn't it amazing? It's so unfortunate. It's, you know, the brain is just another organ, yet we relate to it as something that we need to be embarrassed about if it needs support. You know, it's so it's so unfortunate that that's the case. But it also comes from history, right? Generations before us had, you know, when I was a little girl, my mom was sick. Like I didn't want anyone to know, like it, it was, it was so much worse then than it is now. Even there's embarrassment, there's shame and there's fear. Um, you know, and like even how they dealt with the treatment of mental illness years and years ago was just horrific. So I think that sort of is passed down generation to generation. And it, it's all about our own relationship to mental illness. So if you, you know, didn't grow up in my home, knowing what it was, you might have a relationship to mental illness as a crazy person, you know, in a shooting, God forbid, you know, um, and, and that all paints a picture and creates fear and creates, um, unfortunately, ignorance, you only know what you know. So 
Um, I think with more and more celebrities and athletes speaking up and shining a light on it and sharing their own vulnerable experiences, it can really normalize it and have people um, start to be like, it's no big deal for me to mention if I'm not feeling well. It's it's no big deal for me to you know share that I'm having a bad day. Like I'm a human being. So I think we're on a really good path. Um, I think the pandemic has, has shined an even brighter light on mental illness because we're all, you know, as human beings, we're not meant to be quarantined and, and away from connection to other human beings. So it's all really putting us under a lot of pressure. So I'm optimistic, but it's still a very real thing that stigma does exist. So let's do you brought in about COVID and the workplace, like a lot of people like the mental health and the culture, um, because we're isolated now, we're working from home, and there's a lot of stuff going on. So let's talk about how we can deal with our with the all the the mental health, our mental health during COVID. Yeah, you know, I, um, I have a very powerful resilience program that I have been, I feel very blessed to have been delivering to my corporate clients. And even uh, educators, uh, over over the course of the past nine months, I've been delivering this program to really just remind people uh, they need to check in with how they're doing. They need to not step over how they're feeling. How they're feeling mentally is just as important as if you wake up in the morning with a backache. You should acknowledge it. You should talk about it. You should lean on each other for support. Um, but that first step is so critical, and that's the self-awareness of how am I really doing. And in that program, the most important message I have is to give yourself grace. We're all living through a pandemic, and it is it is triggering us and reminding us of past traumas that we've dealt with, and we're all navigating it to the best of our ability in our own unique way. So I think it's really important that people understand that it's okay to not have a good day. It's okay to have a bad day. Um, and in that program, I'm also out to empower them on things that they can do. What can you do every day to feel better? What can you do in your immediate workspace? What can you do? Well, there's simple things that people can do and they don't realize it to really help them feel energized and motivated and inspired. Um, You know, I'm on a mission to really help organizations get it that people are struggling right now and they they really do need to care more for their people's well-being. So you said you gave some simple tips. Can you give us a few tips about how we can do to make ourselves feel better? Exactly. There's there's a lot of things, but I'll give you this one. Look around your workspace. Um, You have a beautiful space there. I can see with your with your setup. It's gorgeous. Um, Really look at what you're smelling what you're looking at every day and what you're hearing. So you can change the energy in your workspace by maybe getting a diffuser and putting some peppermint oil in and smelling the peppermint, maybe looking at a beautiful painting on the wall right above your computer that brings you joy and makes you smile. Maybe it's a photo of your child, I don't know, but have something that you're looking at. And then what are you listening to? Maybe having some soft music or some music that you love playing in the background. If you play to the senses and just change those three things, you can reinvigorate your day, just how you're how you're navigating it and how you feel. Yeah, I will say I'm a former form believer in the environment around you because when I used to work inside the house, I mean, I'm in my what I call blog cabin, which is like a she shed 50 yards from my back back door, but I'm not dealing with the clutter inside the house. And it just makes me want to come in here and spend the time that I'm in here 
energized and working. So I so can do that. I so understand that. So you mentioned in one of your um, bio things, it says a lot of companies don't realize that when they invest like a dollar in their, in the mental health, in the workplace, they have like a three or $5 return back on that $1. So let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, engagement is everything and it's it's real easy for employees right now to not be feeling motivated or engaged they're home um, they're probably wearing multiple hats caring for children trying to navigate their day i mean engagement and disability costs um, impact the bottom line let's face it if employees are feeling good they're feeling empowered and they're and they're engaged in their jobs um it's, it's so important that employers do spend the money. And I'm saying beyond an 800 uh, hotline for crisis, mm-hmm. right? That's a crisis, right? And employees might be leery to be picking that up because what if, they're, what if their boss finds out? So I, what, what is so important for employers to be thinking about is what else can I be doing to help bridge the conversation about mental health? What's your culture like? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it a common conversation to talk about wellness, mental wellness, or is it something that you step over or you don't even acknowledge? Um, companies pay tons of money to EAP hotlines that go underutilized. So, you know, you really need to stop and look at your culture and say, what are we doing? Um, and what kind of relationship do people leaders have with their people? And are they genuinely checking in on them? Because I'll tell you, the average employee might be saying they're fine, but really they're just trying to navigate it the best they can. And they're not going to divulge that. So, Do you think one of the reasons why they're not divulging that they're not fine is because that stigma around the mental health? I think so. And I think that they think that they'll be perceived as less than or weak, um, you know, and they should just, you know, tough it up and keep going. Um yeah, and it also has a lot to do with the culture. Like, what is the culture like? I mean, I I had a horrible experience when I was diagnosed with depression because I was diagnosed with depression, and I told my boss, and a few months after I told her, she just she evaluated me in my performance review and said, you didn't bring your bubbly, upbeat self to work. I mean, how mm-hmm. insensitive of a leader is that to say that to me after I told her I was diagnosed with depression and I was really just, you know, doing the best I could. I was in getting treatment. I mean, those are the types of, of trainings and, and sensitivities that, that leaders need to be aware of. Um, that's the last thing you tell someone who's, who's been diagnosed with depression, you know? Was it, was it to the case that they probably like, Oh, just like, Oh, she's diagnosed with depression. Oh, we're, we're, that's just something that they're just saying right now. Did they not really believe that you were diagnosed with depression? I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know, but I think, when we start evaluating people on uh, their bubbliness, we get into uh, we get into a space that's not not necessarily the most professional. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, it reflected more on her inability to have compassion for human beings, um, and it it seems so basic, but I think we need to do a better job teaching compassion and empathy. People are human beings before they're an employee number. Speaking of compassion, you also have a program, Five Steps to Cultivating a Culture of Compassion. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So on my website, uh, michelledickinson.com, I do have five steps to cultivating um, a workplace of compassion because when I was at my former company, we we were working on 
creating more compassion in the workplace. And I witnessed some of the things that were working and some of the things that just did not work at all. Um, so on my website, I have a, a quite a few things. I mean, it starts with what's the tone that the leader is setting in the organization? Is the leader open about talking about mental health? Um, you know, it's so powerful when you have someone from the C-suite openly discussing uh, maybe a mental health challenge that has affected their life. And it doesn't have to be them. It could just be a spouse or a loved one who went through something. It really has the power to normalize it and and not think that there's something wrong with you. You know, if you're like, God, my leader navigated this, like I can mm -hmm. certainly navigate it. Like they're human like me. Um, there's that, there's employee resource groups that can be built. Uh, I, I was part of a leadership team driving a mental health um, employee resource group that really just was a, a safe space for people affected by mental health to come together and to support one another. Um, there's all kinds of trainings that can go that can that can happen, you know, from like I mentioned, the leader that I had teaching empathy and compassion, teaching, teaching how to listen. How about just really listening, empathetic listening um, and building trust. Trust is such an important um, aspect of any professional relationship that that needs to be cultivated ongoing. Um, so yeah, and, and even having platforms, like speaking platforms, you know, having a roundtable discussion, um, having different people with different experiences speak up. When I gave my TED talk on my company TED platform, people crawled out of the woodwork and could relate to me and for the first time felt comfortable talking about what had affected them. So there's power in that. And when you have an employee who has navigated depression and come out the other side, that employee is a beacon of hope for other employees. So never underestimate the power of your own environment, your own people helping other people. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Now, two questions arose while you got while you were talking. One is, what is empathetic listening? How is it different from regular listening? Because I know a lot of people are like empathetic listening. What? That's, I, I listen all the time. Yeah. What is that? Oftentimes we're listening to reply, right? Oftentimes we're listening to figure out how that, how you relate to that and what your solution is instead of just genuinely being present and fully listening to the person, fully like allowing your listening to just be present and not um, being so concerned about what you're going to say next, but really getting into their world, like really stepping into and understanding what it might feel like for them. Um, we go through life and oftentimes we don't feel heard or acknowledged. That is can be the easiest and the most important gift we can give another human being is to just genuinely hear them. I love that. Now let's talk about your struggle with depression. When were you diagnosed and your journey through it all? Yeah, you know, Melissa, I was, um, I was adopted. So I went through my life going, well, phew, well, thank goodness. I, I'm not going to have that bipolar gene that my mom has, right? Like I didn't think I would ever deal with it. But I, a few years ago when I was going through a divorce of a, a marriage, I actually like didn't expect it to hit me like it did, but it did. And it made me realize life events happen to us all the time and nobody's immune to it. Because as much as I thought I was a strong person, um, I honestly just had no clue. Um, and so I was 
I, fortunately for me, I was very comfortable with, um, I was very comfortable with asking for help. I had a therapist all my life because of my mom's illness. So I reached out and I got, I got support and I did, I was diagnosed uh, with depression and it was hard. It, it was, it was something that I never, I never knew what it felt like for my mom until I experienced that. Um, and I remember asking my doctor for medication. I said to him, you know, Will you give me medication. This is really painful. And he said, I want you to find a vice that you can, that you can grab onto a healthy vice and, and not take medicine right now. And so I said, okay. And I started to train for a triathlon and I poured all of my energy into training. And that really did help me. It gave me momentum to, um, to spill over into other areas of my life. And that was a, the greatest gift I could do. So, yeah, so it was hard. Um, I still deal with seasonal depression here in New Jersey right now. It's very, it's very gray and cold, but uh, I, you know, I, I'm doing okay. Wow. I mean, why do you think because you were in the pharmaceutical field that you said, let me do, give me medication first before you even thought about a healthy vice? Yeah, I wanted it to go away. Like I, you know, I think, I think we live in a society where it's easy to ask for a, a pill or ask for some type of relief, you know? Um, but I'm so glad that he didn't. I'm so glad that he challenged me to find other ways to navigate it. And fitness became everything for me. Like, because when I was exercising, I wanted to eat better and everything just sort of uh, worked out. And I'm telling you, like the, the most amazing thing for me was the momentum like it felt like nothing was going good in my life, my job, my marriage, everything was falling to crap. And grabbing onto my health and my fitness was the momentum that helped me navigate those other areas. So if I had any advice for someone who might be struggling, find that one thing that you love and just grab onto it and get, and get some momentum going in your, in your life. Wow. I mean, are you still as involved in health and fitness as you were when you first were diagnosed? Um, I exercise. I think this pandemic has challenged us all a little bit, right? Like my, my races this past summer were canceled. So, you know, I try to get to the gym now and then it's not fun to exercise with a mask. So uh, I have a, I have a bike that I ride. So um, I'm, I'm active probably, uh, not as much as I would like to be because of the pandemic, but I still keep moving because I know that that makes me feel better. Um, endorphin, the endorphin high from exercise truly does help me, truly does. So now that you brought up the pandemic again, let's talk about the mental health issues with the pandemic because people that are thought they were okay otherwise, now the pandemic is a, we're isolated. We're not able to go out. If we're going out, we're getting a mask. We're not able to get that alone time because a lot of parents right now are struggling with doing the virtual schooling yeah. and having their kids around all the time, not getting that break. So what do you suggest for them? You know, it's scary. The CDC uh, says that one in three people in the in the U.S. are dealing with depression or anxiety due to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. One in three. That statistic is terrifying. Mm -hmm. So the reality is so many of us are dealing with it the best that we know how. Um, but what scares me is now post the holidays, uh, the depression rates are, I mean, it's anticipated depression rates are going to go up. Uh, unfortunately, suicide rates they're predicting are going to go up, you know, and I think 
the one thing that if I could say anything is the connection and the communication have to have to be a priority. It's so easy to kind of crawl into your hole and forget about the world, but the connection and the communication and whatever you're feeling in your head, getting it out and verbalizing it can make all the difference. So, um, you know, when you're struggling right now, it's so important to find a trusted friend, someone you can talk to and get out of your head and talk to someone. Uh, that's going to help you. And you're probably going to, in the process, help other people by being vulnerable and just admitting what you're dealing with. I will say that what's helped me during COVID is I actually started these chats from the blog cabin at the very beginning of COVID because right. I was like, I missed that connection and miss talking to people. Yeah. And so I think even though it's electronically and it's through technology, I still think you should reach out to people as well yeah. that way. Absolutely. Seeing someone's eyes, connecting with them, it's so important. It's so important for our joy, for our fulfillment. Um, we're social. We're social creatures by nature as human beings, mm -hmm. you know. So we have to find a way to stay connected. Yeah, we do have a comment. Um, domestic violence and child abuse rates increased during the pandemic as yes. well. So yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about you know the people that are at home right now that are mm -hmm. dealing with domestic abuse or child abuse. How do they get through it? Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's, it's so horrible to think about that that's going on. Um, but the strain and the stress, I guess, is affecting a lot of people in very weird ways. Um, you know, it's easier said than done when people have no place to go. Mm -hmm. But again, it's all about talking to someone about it, even if it's calling a helpline, or even if it's, it's getting in your car and going for a drive and calling loved one. Nobody should have to deal with abuse. Nobody should have to uh, deal with any kind of um, pain like that. Um, but, you know, you have to have the courage to raise your hand and get support, though, and call someone and talk to someone. You have to have a loved one or a friend or someone who would want to support you. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, I've been hearing about those statistics, and it's not right, you know. Mm -hmm. They say the strongest thing that you can do if you're suffering from a mental illness is to ask for help. Why don't people not ask for help? Do they think it's because that stigma around it, like they're going to be categorized as, oh, she has a mental illness or she's not yeah. right because she's a mental has a mental illness or. I'm all about preventing the crisis. Right. So if we if we have a healthy relationship to the brain and we recognize that, you know, maybe it's not that we're mentally well or mentally sick. Maybe it's a continuum that we just glide along and some days we're good and some days we're not good. And how about we relate to it that way? And how about we consider having a therapist that we know before the crisis? So you can talk to them proactively. Like, don't let it go to the point where you're like, oh my gosh, I really need to talk to someone. How about getting comfortable with the idea of maybe I just should just go and just, you know, make sure I have a relationship with someone. God forbid if I ever needed someone mm -hmm. um, or or maybe I just need to, to talk to someone just about, you know, how hard life is right now during this pandemic. Um, it's OK. It's OK to talk to people. And I I think I wish more people would would start to recognize the value of proactive care of your brain, just like you go to the gym and you work out mm -hmm. your physical body. Like, what are you doing to proactively work out your and, and navigate how you're feeling and your emotions? Wow. You also have a youth program. 
Yes. It's called Perfect Just the Way You Are. So let's talk about that. Sure. It's a it's a wellness program. It was born out of uh, some of the challenges in my own childhood. Like I didn't have a mom who was able to actively be engaged in my life because she was so sick. So I, when I thought about it, I thought how many kids out there don't realize they're perfect, whole and complete just as they are because maybe their mom is absent or maybe, or maybe they just don't have that in their home. Uh, so that's really what the program was named for was to remind kids of their greatness and their limitless potential. Um, it focuses on how to nourish the body, how to nourish the mind, and leadership skills, those three components. Um, and it's really designed to have kids love themselves and understand empathy and compassion for themselves and for each other uh, through a series of activities and interactions that they do uh, together. Um, so it's, it's a lot of fun, and it's all about bolstering self-esteem and having them present to their greatness. So do you think having to deal with your mom's bipolar illness when you were a kid has made you a better empathetic listener and a better person to create these programs because you're dealing, you're pulling from personal experiences? I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, I have this desire to make a difference in the world because I saw the suffering of my mom. Um, I felt the loneliness of being a little girl without a mom who really was there for me. Even though I knew she loved me, she wasn't there for me. So maybe those two pieces of it like help me um, really relate to the topics more and, and want have have this burning desire to want to make a difference for other people so that they don't suffer. I think at the end of the day, the suffering factor, witnessing my mother suffer, feeling isolated and alone as a little girl, those two pieces, like if I could prevent that for someone else, then that makes me happy. Wow. You mentioned earlier that you were adopted. So that has its own set of mental yeah. um issues, mental health issues there. So yeah. how did you deal with that? Was it very like well known that you were adopted from the very beginning or? Yeah. yeah. My parents were good about that. They always wanted me to know that I was adopted. Um, so I was very comfortable with the term. Um, but you know, when I had dark moments with my adopted mom, I always wondered like, why wasn't I with my mom? Like I, I shouldn't be here. There's been a mistake. I should, I should be with that other, that other mom. Right. Um, and then when I got older, my father gave me the information to find my birth mom. He wanted me to, to know where I came from. And so I found her and I was reunited with her. And, you know, and her story was that she was 16 years old when she gave birth to me. But thank God she gave birth to me. She could have made a million other choices, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it was a beautiful reunion to meet her and see her um, and get that, you know, get that closure um, and understand why, you know, um, at the end of the day, I'm blessed that I had two two women that loved me more than anything. I love that. I just actually recently interviewed someone that said that when they adopted their child, because they had fostered their child, their daughter, and they adopted her, and they the adopted the biological mom is still in the picture. You know, she said when they adopted, it didn't become a family tree; it became an orchard. That ah. means that because they wanted to make it as normalized as possible yeah. for adoption. Why do you think a lot of people are like, oh, well, your mom didn't want you like when you're adopted? 
you know, that type yeah. of those kids, you know, kids can be very oh, cool. No. Oh, I heard it all. Of course. I don't know. I think it's, um, God, I think adoption is such a beautiful thing. I mean, I look at so many of my friends who've adopted children uh, from all over and I just, there's so much love in the world, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know why there's just so much love and um, so much available, the human spirit and the human the human spirit has the capacity to love. So why would we not want there to be love given to every child in every circumstance? You know, um, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I, I go back to ignorance being an adopted daughter. Like there's nothing more beautiful than, than taking in a beautiful little life and giving them a better, a better chance. I mean, my parents did my biological mother was definitely below the poverty line. So, you know, I'm blessed in many ways, even though my mom was bipolar. So. So why did you um, start decide to share your story? Because I'm throwing up a quote right now. I mean, a comment. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Why did you decide to say, you know, I'm going to start talking about this and I'm going to make it normalized? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, for many, many years, I didn't talk about my mom's illness. I just sort of was like, oh, look. I did it. I, I became something in the world. Everyone thought I would never become something because of everything I dealt with. So I thought that was a victory, right? That I got a job mm -hmm. and I was contributing member to society. That was a win. But I think it was when I gave my TED talk and I just realized the power of storytelling and how we need more storytellers. We need more people to go first. We need people with courage who are willing to be vulnerable and be raw because it, it pulls at the human nature of us all. And then we see threads of ourselves in other people's stories. And I think that, um, you know, seeing that and then having the confidence that my voice mattered, um, it just was like, it's a no brainer. I have to write this memoir and I have to use it to be the change I want to see in the world. I mean, if I want more compassion, I have to lead it. I have to be the one that, that has no problem telling my story. Now, I originally started this these chats from the blog cabin doing all these different topics, but it wasn't until my middle daughter, who I shared with you, huh. came up to me and said, Mom, I want you to do a conversation about mental health and how we can... Um, the alternatives to instead of pharmaceuticals, alternatives mm. that you can do for mental health. And she came on the panel and she started telling everybody about her mental health journey and how she has the bipolar tendencies, which she mm -hmm. actually came out in front of everybody. And I was could not be more proud at that moment of her when she came out and talked about her own struggle mm -hmm. as mental health. So it definitely takes someone of courage to get up and start talking. It's also cathartic. I mean, for me, when I wrote my my memoir, it took me, like I said, it took me four long years and it was painful. I had a writing coach who was a gift from God. She doubled as a therapist at times, but like incredibly cathartic to relive and to, to talk through those emotions. Um, and even like in this conversation, like I'm talking to you about it, you know, of course it's like getting me like present to everything I did endure, but grateful, you know, so it, in serving, you know, there's a saying in serving, in serving others, we serve ourselves as well, something like that. Um, and I believe that, I believe that if you, if you uh, are out to help others, the byproduct is you're probably going to help yourself. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And that's honestly the reason why whenever I can find someone that 
comes out and talks about mental health and about their own journey, I want to have them on because I want them people to know that they're okay. That if you're struggling, it's okay. There's other people out there that struggle as well. Yeah. Yeah. And give them permission. I mean, my biggest thing is I want to give you permission to be okay with not being okay. And I want to remind you to give yourself grace. Grace is something we all need to be giving ourselves right now. This pandemic has been long. It has been hard. It has not been easy. And so, you know, the first step is we got to give ourselves grace. Yeah. So what are some of the steps to give ourselves grace since you talked about that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just acknowledging where you are. And if you need to do something for yourself, be okay with it. It also means protecting your energy. If you have a friend who's a drain on you, maybe maybe taking a pause from that friend for a day or two to reclaim your energy. Um, it's loving yourself, whatever that looks like. Is it a bubble bath? Is it a is it a book on the couch for the day? It might be, but you have to nurture yourself. You have to care for yourself. Um, and you should not feel guilty about doing that. Yeah, I, I so can understand about you were talking about a friend that is a drain on you. I had a friend, um, unfortunately, who's no longer my friend because she didn't see that I needed space from her own health issues to, for my own mental health. And she just couldn't understand that. So but yeah, you have to take space because then you realize their energy is going to drag you down even more. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And then you can't serve those that you love, right? Like if it is compromising you, it's going to affect those around you that you're immediately interacting with, whether it's your partner or your children. So yeah, you have to protect your energy. Um, and it's also recognizing it's okay to be frustrated that you can't live the life that you want to be living right now. It's okay. Like how many of us want to get on a plane and go someplace? How many of us just want to get together with our loved ones and have a glass of wine? Like we can't do that stuff. And so it's okay to be angry and to be upset with that um, and acknowledge it, you know, mourn it for what it is, but also recognize this is temporary. This is not going to go on forever. And uh, contrast is a gift and imagine how much more we're going to appreciate it when we get to the other side. That is so true. Now, looking ahead to 2021, what do you, what do you, people are like, I don't have any expectations for 2021 because 2020, you know, this COVID pandemic of mental health. So what would you say for people that don't have any expectations for 2021? I think we are in the most, um, the most incredible time in terms of opportunities. I have to say, you have to start to look at you know, I know it's been it's been hard for a lot of people. There's been a lot of hardship. But within all of this, there's opportunities everywhere. So I, I would say constantly be looking for the opportunities because there are opportunities that are going to present that you would have never thought of. You know, life as we know it is no longer. So find what what opportunities exist. But then I would also say, this time has given us all an opportunity to reflect on what really matters. And it maybe it's an opportunity for you to get present to what you really love to do. And maybe that's where your, your energy should be going instead of working for someone else and making someone else successful. Maybe there's something within you that says, I, I need to follow what's going to, what's going to light my heart on fire. So it could be an, an awesome opportunity to pursue dreams and goals and fulfillment that you maybe never would have had the courage to because you were on the hamster wheel. 
I so can get that because actually I had huge anxiety about being in front of the camera and talking live. I hated that. And then <laughs> out of COVID, this chats from the blog cabin happened. So yes. I, that. I had to push myself outside of my comfort zone. But now I'm to the point where I love interacting and yeah. interviewing people and meeting new people and learning their stories. I love that. And you're good at it. See that? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, is there anything else you want to share with us? You know, I think like if anyone um, was to want, like if I wanted you to know one thing about me, that is that I'm a stand in the world for there to be more compassion and more empathy for people with invisible disabilities. And um, I want to be the source of that. So I'm real excited to keep working with different organizations that want to want to create more open dialogue and help their people get comfortable getting the help they need um, through the work that I'm doing. Um, that and then uh, never underestimate the power of asking someone how they're doing. Mm. It, it takes such a little bit of effort, but check in on the ones that um, that you even think are, are strong and they're fine. Really reaching out to people that you love and really checking in and saying, how are you doing? I was thinking about you. And even if they say they're fine, they're going to remember you if they ever need to, to connect with someone that you were the person that asked them how they were doing. I love that. Now you just, I'm, I'm writing down a note, never underestimate the power of asking someone how you're doing. I love that. Yeah. Um, so where can people find you? On my website is the, probably the best place. It's Michelle E. Dickinson, like uh, fairly, D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N. You can follow me there. I have uh, my own series, Michelle's Conversations That Matter, where I highlight different stories about mental health. I bring in experts and storytellers um, so we can have this be a very common, normal conversation. Mm -hmm. um, you can follow me on Instagram uh, and you know, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or I just posted a survey as well. I'm looking to get employee feedback on how their companies are treating them, how they're doing, how are they feeling supported? And that's a report that I'm pulling together based on that survey data. So you can reach out to me through my website and I'd love to hear from you. Michelle, I want to thank you for coming on and chatting about mental health and making it normalized and united and in the world, in the country. It's not just the United States, it's in the country. Which brings me to another thing, just real quick. How is the, in, in your studies and in your research, how is the United States as far as other countries in the world with mental health? Are the other countries in the world more receptive to mental health issues than the United States? Or, yeah, I, you know, over the years I've been involved with different advocacy groups and different uh, mental health communities. I've learned that Canada and Australia lead the way. They're really doing a lot for for their um, for their citizens around mental health. They they definitely um, are or are countries that we can learn from here in the U.S. Um, but we're doing okay. We have a we have a long way to go. But then you compare our, the U.S. to countries like India, um, they have a lot further way to go, right? So I think we're doing okay, and I think we can do better. Um, but I, I don't want to um, diminish the progress that we have made. Yeah, because I know my my girls are, my husband's from Mexico. 
And so there's that stigma in Mexico that you don't yeah. talk about that type of thing. And it's not something that you talk about. We're in the United States. They're a little bit more open yeah. with their feelings. So. Well, you know, I mean, that's a culture, the whole machismo, right? Like I did a whole series on men's mental health. I mean, we, we need our men to be talking. Um, you're right. And men typically, and especially in other countries, are groomed to just not admit and just deal with it. And unfortunately, we lose our men to suicide because they don't they don't talk. So we got to do more for our men. And we got to make sure they know that they're that they're cared for and that it's okay for them to talk if they need support. Yeah. And I'd love that. I mean, not only check in on the women, your women friends, but your men friends as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So is there anything before we jump off that you want to wrap up with? No, thank you so much for having me. I, I think we all have a part in this. So if we all, if we all start to normalize it, if we have the courage to go first and just ask someone how they're feeling or just admit that like you're not having a good day, you set the tone and you can cause a ripple effect by normalizing it and being like, okay, so today's not a good day. How yeah. are you? <laughs> yeah, that is so true. Yeah. And Michelle, I want to thank you for coming on and talking about mental health because it, we, we still have a long way to go, like you said. But yeah. we're, we're getting there step by step. And the more people share their stories and come on and talk about what's normal for them, which may not be normal for the next person, that's when we normalize mental health issues. Yes. Thank you for having me, Melissa. You're welcome. And guys, we will see you on the next chat from the Block Cabin. I hope you guys really enjoyed my chat with Michelle. The one thing, one question that really stuck in my mind as we were chatting was when she asked the question or when she made the statement, I should say, never underestimate the power of asking someone how they're doing. How oftentimes do we think people are okay? We don't have to worry about them. They seem so strong. When in reality, that normally the strongest ones are the ones that really need someone to come up and say, hey, how are you doing? Do you need anything? Do you want anything? How can we help you? How can we assist you? And in these times of a global pandemic, it's more important to ask around and see. I see more and more people that are getting diagnosed with COVID every day. And it's just blowing my mind that they don't want to be a burden with other to other people. But Honestly, folks, it's what you need to do. Um, you need to ask people. Never underestimate the power of asking someone how they're doing. I have a podcast coming up pretty soon with a humorist. And she did improv. And she talks about how when she goes up to the checkout, she will sit there and make conversation with people in the checkout line. The lady, oh, how are you doing? What's your favorite thing that you've done today? Or what's your what makes you happy? So what makes you happy? Think about it. What makes you happy? How can you serve others? And what makes you happy? How can you make others happy? A simple chat. A little note left on a window of a car. Windshield of a car. A little, your neighbor, even though you don't want to go see your neighbor because, you know, COVID is all out there, you can easily make a little goodie basket and just drop a little something. Drop a card in the mail. There's a whole lot of ways that we can do to help people and to know they're not alone and so one of the ways that i'm doing it is by doing this podcast and 
I am meeting some really interesting people that I've just, it's been such a great time chatting with them and I'm meeting so many interesting people. I have some repeat people coming back on again, so I cannot wait for that. But this podcast was something that started out of COVID-19 and it has just become a whole nother thing now. I pretty much... 50% of my day is spent on podcasts and YouTubes and Facebook Lives now than I ever thought I would ever be on. So I thank you guys for all your support. And another way you can support me is by clicking, subscribing to the channel, subscribing to the podcast, subscribing, watching on Facebook, um, and just leaving a rating and review. Let me know how I'm doing. I thank you guys for being part of the Chats from the Blog Cabin family. And you know what I need you to do? I need you to start listening to each other and start chatting. Have a great day. Be blessed.